So if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. This isn't a new thought that I'm about to bring up, but sometimes it's the thoughts that aren't that new that we take for granted. It's the thoughts that we think we know, the things we have memorized, the things that sound so familiar to us, but it's the Holy Spirit that wakes these things up in us again. In Ephesians chapter 1, We'll start with it, verse 18, because this is a super important and very familiar section of Scripture to you, but I want you to hear it again with fresh fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What does he say there? Whose calling is it? It's his calling. I mean, I know we talk a lot about our calling, but really it's his calling. We're a part of his calling, amen? You have gifts that are unique to you. You have a place that's unique to you, a role that's unique to you. But ultimately, we've been a call to his calling. And there's hope in that calling. He says, I'll pray that your heart would be enlightened. Another, another uh, translation says that your heart may be flooded with light, that you would know what the hope, is, uh, know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And you could spend three weeks on that verse alone, but we won't. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. We've talked about that already this morning, that name above every name, that's above every power, that's, that's above every force, that he is seated above all these things. And the Bible, in fact, says that we've been seated with him in heavenly places. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, of course, This isn't the final thought today, but you guys know if he put everything under his feet and the church is the body of Christ, then everything is under us as well, right? He's the head of all things. He's the head of the church. And it says he gave him who Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is a a huge thought. A huge thought for us, and I hope it's one you've already meditated on. I hope it's something that's come up before, but this is a big deal to me. That God has a desire from that last verse. Look at, look at what it says. It says it's, we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. God's plan, God's design, God's mission is to fill everything with him. And to be in everything. God's design is to fill the earth with his glory, right? That's what the Bible says. That the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That uh, in fact, God says to his people in the old covenant, he says in the new covenant, you won't have to say there'll be a day when you don't have to say to your neighbor, know the Lord for all will know him. 
Now he says, you know, we're in that tension place right now. We're not in the, the final kingdom come where Jesus rules on the earth with a rod of iron. But we are in a place where his kingdom is amongst us. His kingdom is on this earth working through us. Jesus said to people, he says, the kingdom of God has come near to you today. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God even says is within you. Right? Now he says, God, now if God wants to fill everything, let's just get down to the, to the micro level. Let's get down to Lloyd Minster. Does God design, does God desire to fill all of Lloyd Minster with himself? Yeah, he does, right? So how's he going to do that? It's the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all and is in all. God's design to fill Lloyd Minster with him is the church. And God's design to use the church to fill Lloyd Minster with him starts with us being full of him. Because we are the fullness of him. Right? I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. As we give our lives to Jesus, he opens up the, the, the gates and says, everything I have is yours. The Bible says we become partakers of the divine nature. It says that he has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. There's not one thing that he's held back that you need to carry out what God's called you to do. But we see here, and I believe that God wants to fill this building with his glory. I believe that. But if we stop at this building, what a sad state of affairs that would be, right? And I know that people are drawn. I know that we've had people walking by the church that God's Spirit drew them in and they got saved that day because they, God drew them into the building when we were having a service. I know he does that. But I also know that God has strategically placed his people in areas of influence in areas where they are put in a position nobody else is in. Not just to, you know, get our numbers up, get our quota up, but to fill that space with God himself. The church is the fullness of him. The church is meant to be the fullness of God. Now here's the thing. If we're we're desperately trying so hard to fit into the world. We lose what makes us so great to start with. And you say, wait a minute, are you saying we're great? Well, I'd say Jesus in us is pretty great. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is pretty amazing. I'm not saying we brought that to the table, but I'm saying that's pretty impressive. The body of Christ is an amazing thing, right? It's, a, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's beyond uh, uh, my imagination to say how big How great, how amazing the body of Christ is and should be. Do we have the expectation? And I've used this before, so forgive me for repeating myself, but I don't have a problem repeating myself. How many of you know that Jesus works at Mary Brown's serving you chicken? I know because he's talked to me at the (laughs) drive-thru. Jesus works at spirits. But here's the good news. He doesn't just work at restaurants. He's working in the oil field. Jesus is working at the co-op. Jesus is working in the mall. Jesus is shopping at the mall with you. And I know that sounds like a blasphemous thought that Jesus would shop. But how else is he supposed to get? I mean, I guess he could just turn stone into bread all the time. 
But he goes with you. He goes with us. And he desires to fill the city with his presence. Is that our expectation? You see, I believe God wants to help you through your day. I believe he wants to help you with your family, help you with your your home life. I believe all that. But there's got to be more than that. There's got to be more to God with you at your job. There's got to be more to it than just, Lord, help me get through my job so then I can get out of work and do what I need to do for you so I don't get too angry, so I don't get too stressed, so I don't get too tired. There's got to be more than that. There's got to be a mission beyond, Lord, help me get through the stuff I have to do so then I can get to the stuff I want to do. Because if we're called by a holy calling, every moment of our life is an opportunity. And every place we find ourselves in is a holy place. You know, Tia and I don't have outside jobs beyond this. I used to. First five years, I think, of pastoring, I worked a full-time job too. So I've done the bivocational thing. It was good. It was a season. Now we're in this. We're pastoring two churches. We're, we're doing what we're called to do. But you know, we find ministry opportunities at church all the time. But God finds ministry opportunities out for us outside of church all the time too. For us, wherever we go is a, is a mission field, right? But also, we've just started to view, you know, we, we really do want to sell our condo and get to a house. But for right now, let me tell you, our condo has become our mission field. And, and we've got folks knocking on our door that, that want to know more about what we've got. We're sitting down there talking to them, loving on them, praying with them. And we just go, hey, we want to get out of here. But as long as we're here, praise the Lord, we're going to have a good time. Amen. How many opportunities has God put in your path? The problem is we sleepwalk through it. We just sleepwalk through it, and we go, oh, this is my work, this is my job. But every day, something's happening around you that God is setting up. And are you aware of it? Because his desire is to fill every place and everything with his presence. And the way he wants to do it is not merely a cloud. It's not merely some fog. It's the people of God. So how is God going to fill the city? with his presence, by filling the city with his people. Amen. Come on now. Come on now, Pastor. That's huge. Couldn't be bigger to me. Well, I pray that it grows in us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to just focus on the two filling words there. We just briefly talked about he fills all and he's in all. And he does that through the church. But let's just talk for a minute but what it means to be the fullness of God. When something's full, is there anything else in it? When something's full, is there anything lacking? No. No. If we are the fullness of God, that means God is not holding anything back from his body. We are meant to be the full expression of God. Now, the full expression of God is not just solo. It's all of us together because we all bring a different aspect and a facet of God. But there's nothing of him that he's saying, I'm saving for the end. Right? I'm just saving the, the sweet spot. I'm saving this extra gift. I'm saving this extra bit of myself. If it says the body of Christ is the fullness of him, it's full of God, 
is the fullness of God. It's completely his nature. It's completely his character. That's what we're meant to be. Jesus said in Matthew 5, in fact, it wouldn't do you any harm to turn there. In Matthew 5, in something that you probably learned as a child if you grew up as a believer. If not, you probably learned it pretty quick. In Matthew 5, Jesus says something that's become quite famous. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. Like I've sown you. I've cast you into the earth to be salt. You guys know the uh, parable of the sower, right? What does the sower sow? Seed, which is the word. How many of you know the other parable of the sower? Do you know there's two? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? No? All right. There's another parable of the sower. I'm not making up. Some of you are looking like I've been reading the Book of Mormon. I'm not. You know, it's in the Bible. It's in the Gospels. It's in your Bible. Check it out. (laughs) We, some of you know it as the parable of the tares. Jesus said that there's seed thrown out into the soil. And he says that, he says that thorns sometimes spring up. But he said this, he said, the seed is the sons of the kingdom, are the sons of the kingdom, and the field is the world. So I love the parable of the sower where he says the word is the seed. But then he tells another parable where you're the seed and you are thrown violently into the world. Sometimes kicking and screaming say, no, I'd love to stay in the seed bag with other seeds, please. (laughs) It's cozy in the seed bag. There's other seeds just like me. I'm close to the master. I like being in the seed bag because I can feel the warmth of his leg. It's nice. Can I just stay in the seed bag for the rest of my life? I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand. Like, and then he takes you out of the bag and he tosses you into a hostile world. And you go, I don't want to go here. I feel, I feel like there's so much stuff around me trying to tear me away from the Lord. Well, he's right here. You have access to him all the time. Nothing can tear you away unless you let it. Because on his end, he says nothing will separate you. Nothing can keep you. I'm not leaving you. I'm here. Whether you know it or not, I'm right here. He sows his seed into the world. Seed are the sons of the kingdom. Women, you're included in that. Praise the Lord. Sons and daughters of the kingdom, all right? We are thrown, cast into the world. Now, why would a, why would a farmer throw seed somewhere? This is really simple. It's not a trick. I'm not a trick question preacher. I'm really not. You guys are way, who hurt you in the past? <laughs> I know, some of them have been guest speakers here, and I apologize for that. I'm not a tricky guy. You sow seed because you want to harvest. All right? You put it in there because you want something to grow. God sows us into the world so that he gets a harvest. And what the point of one of his parables was, 
You know, sometimes there's going to be tears that, that grow up and you're so concerned about the tares that you forget about the harvest. And he says, don't worry about the tares. We'll take care of those in the harvest. He says, if you spend all your time trying to uproot the fakes and the charlatans and the, the, the guys who really aren't in it for the right reasons, he says, you'll tear up, you'll uproot some good ones in the process. So focus on the harvest. God is all about the harvest. Sowed us into the world. He says here, you are the salt of the earth. This has been said a million times by a million different people, but I'll say it again. Salt brings flavor and salt preserves. Right? So we're called to do two things at the very minimum is to bring his flavor into the world. To bring his flavor, that flavor of the divine back into the world. And to preserve this world. You know, the Bible tells us that there is a a lawless one. There is a spirit of Antichrist. In fact, it talks about uh, the Antichrist. But it says there's already a spirit of Antichrist in the world. There's many who have already risen up. But it says that there is this lawless one that is restrained for right now. And he will be restrained until the ones that restrain him are removed. Now, I take that to mean, you can take this differently, I take that to mean there's going to be a day when we're with the Lord, caught up, and we're no longer that restraining force on the earth. And evil has its way for a season. But while we're here, we're preserving the world from judgment. We're keeping it. How many of you believe that Canada is blessed because you're in Canada? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's judgment, the judgment that that falls on a sinful nation has been held back because of righteous people like you and me? Because if God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah for just a handful of believers, for just a handful of righteous people, how much more would he spare a whole nation that have thousands of believers? You are the salt of the earth. What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is not that people would say, I'm not a big salt fan. The worst thing that could happen is that the salt becomes tasteless. The worst thing that could happen is that in our desperation to fit in, we'd stop being different. You know, the word holy does not mean good, doesn't mean pure, doesn't mean sweet or lovely or any of those things. The word holy in the scripture means separate. Come out and be separate. And yet, here's the, here's the paradox. He called us to be separate, and yet separate right in the mix of things. Like not, not separate in our own little village, but be separate amongst the world and cause the glory of God to invade that space. What miracles could we find? What miracles could we hear about? I love the testimonies of God doing stuff out in the wild. Right? There was a a hip-hop song a few years ago by very famous, two very famous artists. And the message of it was, there is no church in the wild. There is no church in the wild. What was their point? We're so far out here, there's no church for us. We're, we're so far out to here. There's no church here. There's, 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 we're, we're way out on our own. We're way in the wild. 
Yet church, as you guys know, if you've been saved for even six months, you know this. Church is not a building. It's not a service on Sunday. Church is the body of Christ. It is, is a living, breathing organism. It is not an organization. It's not a structure. It's not a business. Church is a moving body. The church is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is meant to be in all. Thank God for the gathering of believers. This is entirely scriptural that we would come and worship God as one, that we would come and be equipped for the work of ministry. But the work of ministry... Guys, we know the work of ministry has to be done where the ministry is to be done. Where are the people that need ministry? I know you need ministry. I know you need prayer from time to time. I pray you get it. But if Jesus came to preach recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives, the gospel to the poor, if he came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. To set free all those that are pressed by the devil. So I'll say it again. I'll say it again, Siri. Well, at least somebody's honest. Praise the Lord. I said came to preach release to the captives recovery of sight to the blind the favorable year of the Lord set free those that are oppressed by the devil recovery of sight to the blind I mixed them all up but hopefully in a new order you'll get it where are you going to find the blind where do you find the captives I imagine you find some here I guarantee you there's a bunch of blind working at Safeway. I guarantee you there are captives at the exhibition ground. I guarantee you there's somebody oppressed by the devil in the oil field. I guarantee you that we're finding these people, we're running across them every day. Where did most of the miracles that Jesus did happen? On the way, I've said this before, from one place to another place, most of the miracles happened on the way to somewhere else. Right? The miracles were hardly ever the destination. Look through the Gospels. Somebody interrupts him on the road all the time. Or he comes across Zacchaeus, right? Goes through Jericho. The Bible says he was going through Jericho. We all know what through means, right? We go through places to get to other places. We go through St. Wahlberg multiple times a week to get to Loon Lake and to get back. St. Wahlberg's not our destination. But stuff can happen in St. Wahlberg. So Jesus is going through Jericho and a little tax collector happens to find himself in a tree and Jesus on his way through looks up at him and says, I must go to your house today. I mean, Jesus must have been... So frustrating for the schedule people. You know, the, the people that like to stay on point. They've already planned their calendars out. We're supposed to be in this place at this time. And Jesus has now booked a, a spontaneous supper. Who knows how long that'll last? At Zacchaeus' house. 
Zacchaeus says, okay, all right. He gets excited, brings him to his house. Jesus gets criticism for eating with such, a, such a, a, an evil guy. And then Zacchaeus has a moment of reaction to God, stands up and says, I'm sorry. I realize I've stolen so many things. I'm going to pay back four times what I've stolen. And Jesus says, surely salvation has come to this house for the, this man too is a son of Abraham. He didn't say Zacchaeus had come to salvation. He said salvation came not just to him, but to his house. Salvation came to his house. Salvation is meant to go and find. What is the word salvation? It's rescue. How many of you just get out in the water, see somebody drowning, and say, hey, I'll meet you on the land and I'll help you. Swim over here. And I'll save you. You're not going to be very good at the Coast Guard or search and rescue, whatever you do. You're going to be the worst lifeguard the Leisure Center has ever seen. (laughs) Come over here, I'll give you CPR. Just dog paddle, something. You're really bad at this. (laughs) Salvation seeks and saves. Jesus said it when he was criticized for it. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said that about Zacchaeus. I've come to seek and to save the lost. We believe in saving the lost. Do we believe in the seeking part? Luke 15 tells three stories of things that are lost. It tells the story of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman looks around and realizes she's missing a coin. The parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd looks around and realizes he's missing a sheep. In the parable of the lost son, the son comes home, and then the man looks around and realizes he's missing another son. And he goes out and sends a servant to find that other son. Because that story is just, about, just as much about the other son as it is about the prodigal son. In all three, the common thread is somebody at one point, when some, somebody's found, they say, rejoice with me, that which was lost is found. But there's another common thread. Do you know the other common thread? Somebody's looking around. Somebody's looking around and saying, who's not here? Who's missing? And where can I find them? We go through life and not realize who's not here. Now, we can go to the other side. I mean, I've been in places in ministry where I got depressed by somebody who was not at church that morning or, or hadn't, we hadn't seen them in a while, hadn't heard from them. And uh, you get so obsessed with the people that aren't showing up that you forget the people that God has put in front of you. See, that's the other side of the ditch. That's the other problem. But there's a need for seekers. You know, we, we talk about seeker services, which are designed to help people seeking God. That's cool. But, you know, the seekers should not just be the people seeking God. They should be the people of God seeking the lost on search and rescue missions. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So it's obviously not just God's mission that you're in different areas of influence because what's the point of having you in those areas if you're not demonstrating God in those areas? It's not doing any good for the kingdom. But if you're saying, I want to be full of him, so when I'm full of him, the, every place I go will be full of him. 
I carry him. I carry his presence. I carry his glory. I carry his kingdom. I carry his anointing. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure or the basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What would it look like to put our light under a basket? See, you put your light under a basket doesn't mean the light's gone. I mean, there are believers that are full of the light of God. And when we get together, you see it. And when they get home, you know it. But when they get out in certain places, they dim it down. They don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to be too abrasive. It's not that they don't have the light of God. It's not that they're living sinful lives. It's not that they've fallen away from God. They're full of the light of God. They just know how to cover it up at the right times. You know, it's interesting that before Jesus starts talking about you being the salt of the earth and you being the light of the world, the thing he says right before this is, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name. Well, he's telling you here, don't be afraid of being persecuted. Rejoice. Because you're identified with me. You can't have fear of not being accepted. Come on now. Right? You can't, be, you can't have fear of feeling different. We can't be afraid of being different because it's that very differentness, that, that essence of God that is going to heal the land we're called to, that's going to bring harvest, that's going to cause whatever we're in to be flavorful and, and, and to be preserved. Do you, I mean, this is the, I haven't heard anybody say this to me in a long time, and I thank God for it. But I remember growing up, every now and then, somebody would bring a visitor to church, and they'd say, can we just tone down a little bit? I got a visitor. <laughs> Try not to like get too crazy, all right? Don't get on the Holy Spirit, something like that. You know, if you read the Bible, the, 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 the force of salvation is carried by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gets people saved. Right? The Bible says, how can you come to him unless the Spirit draws you? The Holy Spirit is not a push-away spirit. He's a drawing spirit. Isn't that right? So who is our best friend when it comes to winning people to Jesus? The Holy Spirit. So why would we be ashamed of the Holy Spirit like he's just our weird uncle that doesn't know that his fly's undone and, and, and we're just embarrassed and we just got to polish him up and give him a haircut and, and put some shades on him so that he doesn't look so weird. It's the Holy Spirit. He's a drawer. But the Bible says we smell like Christ. We are the essence. We are the fragrance, the aroma of Christ to God. But to those that are perishing, we smell like death. Are you okay with that? How many of you have owed to death? You know, you buy, can I just smell? You know what I love? I love that smell when someone's just Seconds away from death. No, I, in fact, I like it when they've already died. Can I get that bottle? No, no one wants to smell like death. <laughs> Nobody likes that. <laughs> right? Amen. <laughs> Nobody wants to smell like death. But the Bible says we smell like Christ, but to some people that smells like death. Why? What would be better? What would be better if someone were unaware that they were dying and walked blissfully to their death? or that they were aware that they were dying and could do something about it and reverse it. Come 
right? Biggest problem for dying people is they don't know they're dying. And I'm not talking about physical dying. I'm talking about spiritual death. Because there is a Savior, right? If everybody was dying of a disease and you knew the cure, what would be your number one goal? Get people the cure. How would you do it? Make them aware that they're dying. Make them aware that there is a cure. What if it was a, a death that they were dying where they weren't aware they were dying until it was too late? You'd want to get out there and tell everybody. Now, not everybody would take you, I mean, would take that as a very nice thing that you're saying, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying. That's inconvenient, that's uncomfortable. But we're not just telling people they're dying. We're telling people there's a Savior. That's good news. I mean, it's bad news for a second that you're dying, but it's really good news that I have the answer. We have a Savior. We have rescue for this. Right? Like, that's the best news in the world. So, We can't be afraid to smell like Jesus, even if smelling like Jesus smells bad to somebody. I'd rather smell like Jesus. Can't be afraid of shining light. I would like to shine that light. And you know what? It says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Sometimes we just want to be hidden. Just want to blend, right? I mean, I grew up that way. I was the kid that always wanted my family to blend. Just blend. I'd play soccer, and my mom was a great cheerleader. Go, Jonathan, get the ball, Jonathan. You know, she had a southern accent, which was different than the other parents. And she was louder. And sometimes I would look like, shh, just shh. Right, like just simmer down. My dad, we'd been in an amusement park, and he'd want me to look at a specific somebody, you know, somebody you know, had kind of a cool outfit on or a different haircut or something. It was never mocking or, or criticism. It was just, you know, like, hey, look at that. And he, he used Cree, like, wapum, and he'd point with his chin, like, look over there. <laughs> I was like, Dad, they don't speak Cree, but they know what you're doing. <laughs> like, I can figure that out. <laughs> you think you're being all stealth mode. We're not. I just wanted to blend into the crowd. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be that, you know, and, 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 and you find that in your nature at times. I don't want to be any different. I just want to get through this. But God's called us to be so different that it wakes people up back to life. The people are snapped out of reality. I mean, Jesus Christ is the stumbling block but he's also the chief cornerstone. So in order for people to find the cornerstone, they have to trip over him first. Now some people trip over him and they're so happy they found him. And some people trip over him and swear at him because they stubbed their toe. That's not your business. The the hope and 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 the prayer of all of us is, Lord, let somebody run into Jesus today as I go. Because when I go to work at 7 o'clock, out to that rig on the west side. When I go at 7 o'clock, Jesus is going to work. And at 7 o'clock, I'm expecting miracles to happen. I'm expecting the glory of God to fill that place. I'm expecting miracles. I'm expecting salvation. I'm expecting demons to be cast out because here I am. And this isn't a foreign thought. It's a thought you've all thought about, but maybe we need to wake up yeah. to the realities around us. Jesus was awake yeah. and aware. He knew the, ke- the guy's name up in the tree. 
You know how many times Jesus is walking and someone yells out for him? Hey, son of David, have mercy on me. And as you go through the scriptures, you see a common thread in a lot of them. People telling that person, shh, shut up, don't bother him. It's shocking to me that the people keeping the needy, the blind, the sick, the lame away from Jesus are the people that are closest to Jesus and have been walking with Jesus. The people that were walking with Jesus, the people that were closest to Jesus were the ones trying to keep others away from Jesus. And then Jesus says, no, no, let them come here. Everybody changes. Come, the master's calling for you. Come here. It's your lucky day. What's your name, by the way? Oh, my name's Simon. You know, like they act like it was their idea and I invited you. But I'll tell you something. The sick, the lame, the poor, the blind are inconvenient people. They're going to mess up your schedule. They're going to mess up your day. And you just want to get in and out of the grocery store. You just want to go to work, get it done, and go see your family. And it's inconvenient to run into people that need Jesus. But give us inconvenience if it means the kingdom of God is spread. Give us inconvenience if it means that the glory of God is demonstrated. Give us inconvenience every day if it means that Christ fills our workplace. Because he doesn't desire to fill your workplace by bringing a preacher from church or bringing a foreign cloud. Hey, if he wants to bring the glory in the cloud, praise the Lord, I'm for it. But his primary place of filling that space is putting a son, a daughter of the kingdom into that ground. Jesus goes on, and we're, we're about done here, so hang with me. He says... We'll go back for a minute. In verse 15, Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. What is the house in this parable? Because it's not the church. If it were the church, we just need one of us to be the light. We're all light. We all got light. So the church doesn't need the light as much as other places need light. We still need light, of course, but he's not talking about the church. He says, there's one guy with light, one lady with light, who's given light to everybody else in the house, filling the house with light. Now, I'm inferring from that that the, the house is a dark place if you're not there, right? If you're the one giving light to all the house, it doesn't talk about any other light that's there. You're the one giving light to the house. If you're not there, the house is very dark. Maybe that's why you work where you work. Maybe that's why it's frustrating when you come home and you say, oh, I wish I had some godly coworkers. It's hard on me. It's a fight every time I go to work. It's a battle every time I go to work. Maybe because it's a very dark place. And that's why they need a light. My prayer is and my hope is that that light is so contagious that somebody catches fire just like you. Pray that your whole workplace comes to Jesus. And that place is flooded with light. But it starts with one light in a dark place. That's why we need gatherings like this. That's why I need to get and be with other believers, whether it be home group or prayer or whatever. Because sometimes when you're the only light in the house, it's exhausting. You need to come back and be built up and encouraged by your brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
You need to be getting into the Word. You need to be getting in prayer because you can't go empty into the world. You've got, some, you've got to give something. You've got something to pour out. Right. We're supposed to be filled up this morning. We didn't come just to receive. We came to give our worship, our praise, our honor to God. But anytime we worship God, we are filled up ourselves. You came to be equipped. But if you dress your kid in full hockey gear and send him to school, he's going to have a bad day. Right? Nobody wants to be equipped if they're not actually doing the job they were equipped for. So church or let's say a Sunday service or Wednesday night or home group, whatever, this will be aggravating burdensome, boring to you if you're just getting equipment put on and then you're just walking through your day not using the equipment that's given you. It's just cumbersome. But people that are doing the job are happy to have the equipment. Right? People that are getting soul saved. I, I, I've met people that are, that are hardcore soul winners. Been winning souls for years and years and years and they still get excited when someone preaches a message about soul winning. Why? Because they're using everything they got. Give me some more. Because I love this. It gives light to all who are in the house. Before we close this morning, I want us to consider where is Jesus in Lloyd Minster, in Onion Lake, in Kitscotty, in Marshall, in Macklin, in Provost? Where is Jesus? Because he goes with you. And he wants to fill it. If you look through the book of Acts, there are two places, of, or three places of great importance. The gathering of believers, whether they gathered house to house. The temple, which was partly in worship and often partly to win other Jews back to Jesus. And the marketplace. You look how many times the marketplace pops up in the Gospels in the book of Acts, especially the book of Acts. The marketplace was the prime place of ministry. You're in the marketplace. It is a prime place for ministry. If you say, I want to be in the ministry, and all you picture is a pulpit, you might be missing something big because you are in a position. Some of you are retired, but I bet you're in areas. I bet you find yourself in places with people that need the, the, the light of the gospel. I bet you find yourself, and if, you, if we didn't sleepwalk through it, if we were awake and alert, if we were alive to the fact that God is setting up little appointments for us all the time, a little man in a tree, a blind guy on the road, a lame guy on the way to the temple, how many miracles happen on the way to somewhere else? Let your life be a little inconvenient. I want to ask you to do me a favor this morning or sometime in the next few days. We've got a survey for you. Bet you didn't think that's what I was going to say. We want to find out what areas God is filling in this area with the church. And we're just going to start with this church for right now, although there's many others. God has called believers all over this city. But let's just start with this little group. I want you to go to our website, whether it's right after the service or further on down the line, go to thewordchurch.ca and click on survey. And it's going to ask you, where do you work? Or if you're not working, where are the places that you find yourself in throughout the week that God has called you to shine light? And our goal through that is to get a picture 
of all the areas that God is filling with his glory. To pray into it, to expect miracles in those areas, to expect harvest in those areas. And let me tell you something about harvest. Jesus said, when the harvest comes, someone goes out and thrusts forth the sickle and brings the harvest in. Harvest doesn't march to your door. Harvest has to, you have to know when it's ready and you have to go out and get it. Sowing seed's not enough. You have to know how to harvest. Amen? So we want to know where the seed is. We want to know where the sons of the kingdom and the daughters of the kingdom have been sown. And I, I would like you to do us that favor. If you've got internet, you can do it. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your computer. So write this down. Mark it down. The wordchurch.ca. Click on survey. And we want to find out. You might say, this sounds, all of a sudden, this turned into a marketing meeting. It's not about marketing. We, I believe God wants us to be aware of where we are. Because this is more than just a message I'm preaching you this morning. I believe this is a mission for our church, is to be aware of our opportunities, to be aware of our mandate as believers, to be aware of where God's called us to, to pray into it, to act into it, and to expect God's glory in these areas, all right? Do that for me. Let's stand up together and we're going to pray.